Instagram. Let's thank Hap for being here. Hap, take a seat. Founder of North Face. Uh, so first off, thank you so much for being here. Also, let me change this background. Luckily, we've got our trusty clicker. There we go. So Hap, just tell us a little bit about your background, where you came from, and sort of the origin stories of North Face. Well, my background was a strange collection of things that put everything together in terms of what I developed as a philosophy, which was a triple bottom line business, which was an equal commitment to profits to the planet and uh, to people. But it, it, it was not a direct line. It started out when I was in school. I was always an outsider. I was an outsider in really three ways. I mean, the first outsider is I went outdoors all the time and appreciated the wilderness. And as a result of that, I realized we had something we really needed to protect. But on weekends, I was always around lakes and waters and, and whatever, went on hiking. And uh, that, that created something that was in my DNA. And then the second place I was an outsider was academically. Uh, when I was in the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, they decided that I needed to stop going to school at midday, and, that, and they made me feel good about this. Uh, I thought it was because I was a good student. I later figured out it was because I was so disruptive. But you know, I ended up running a school store, so I developed some commercial things. And then they gave me directed reading. And in that directed reading, I read about Hegel and Marx, but I read about Thoreau. And something really resonated there. Throw said that in wildernesses, the preservation of the earth. I knew that when I went outdoors that that was the case. And I really had that feeling. And so I just put that in my data bank. I read about a guy by the name of Buckminster Fuller, who later I ended up working with, uh, who had all sorts of uh, philosopher genius ideas of sustainability that went on. And so I was developing that data. And then the third place that I was an outsider was really I, I worked at jobs because uh, my family had a wood products company and I wanted to work at every task. So as a green chain, I was loading boxcars, I was doing things like that. And I worked around people uh, who really impressed me. A lot of immigrants who didn't have as much education as I had, uh, yet they were really clever in the way they solved things. Some of them could hardly speak English, but you know, I suddenly realized how valuable these people were. And there were a lot of women that worked in this plant because during the Second World War, uh, there weren't enough men for the jobs. And the women were there, and they were doing as good or perhaps better than anybody else. But they were paid half of what the men were. And that didn't make sense. So I put all of those things together, and I, I developed this philosophy that, uh, of a business that uh, needed to be sustainable. It was ESG before we ever talked about it, about sustainability or circularity. And so I took that, and then I went to school. And I've got an undergraduate degree at Stanford, and then I got an MBA at Stanford. And when I left Stanford, you know, I'd, I was thinking somebody offered me a job to run their company, but they didn't. And so I looked around at various companies to try and see if any of them really matched up against my idiosyncratic ideas. My ideas of sustainability, my ideas of paying women the same as men, my idea of not worrying about people where they came from. Uh, and I didn't find it. And I knew that I was sort of obstreperous, and I knew I had a lot of hubris, and I knew that I was probably not going to be a very good employee for anybody else because I didn't see it anywhere. I interviewed with Procter & Gamble, interviewed with General uh, Mills, interviewed with a lot of consumer goods companies because I thought I had a flair for sales and marketing. But I didn't see that anywhere around. I didn't see that anybody cared about it. When you're in the wilderness, you don't want a product to fail 
because if the product fails, your life could be dependent on it. So I understood the idea of a product that lasted forever. And here I was interviewing companies that their primary thing was to figure out how you could get rid of it so they could sell you something more. So all of those things didn't work. And so then I said, well, you know, if, if you can't work for anybody else because you don't have the same ideas, there's only one thing you can do if you really think you're destined for business, and that is start your own business. And so I knew something about the outdoors, and at the outset, that's what North Face was all about. We made sleeping bags, tents, and packs, and a little bit of funky clothing. But our, our whole concept then was, I was going to insinuate these ideas about environment, about society, about governance, about the way you treat people, about protecting the earth. And I believe that a company could do good. I believe, and I'd seen it through my business school training, that frankly, individuals don't have much power in the world, but companies have a lot of power. And if companies are going to do good, it's going to have a massive impact. So I said, okay, let's make a, a company around this. Let's make a company around the DNA of ESG. It didn't exist at that time in terms of the way people were talking, but I said, I don't know how big it's going to be, and I don't know if, how big an impact we're going to have. But what I did know is if we made a great product, and put a lifetime warranty on it, which we did at North Face, if we treated well uh, the people that we had and the customers, that we were going to come up with something that was going to do our part in saving the world. Because one of our goals, as weird as it seems, is we thought we were going to change the world. Well, I think you did change the world. Guys, let's give it up for Hat, because literally, <laughs> when you think about one person changing the world, you know... That's literally happening. Um, Hap really changed the game on the way you know we we live and we work. So thank you for everything that you've done, and you know you've built one of the most successful companies, one of the most well-known brands. That's something to be extremely proud of as well. Tell us a little bit about sort of that process of what was it like when you just had your first couple stores going to then you know it sort of explodes and is this international business that is just everywhere. Well, we were fortunate that things moved a little slower at that time. So maybe it didn't explode, maybe it just grew. But, but the reality is uh, it, your primary thing is creating a brand that everybody understands what it stands for and stay with that. And so we did it through basically describing using three words that we always measured everything against. The three words were disruption, quality, and triple bottom line. And the challenge as you grow is that you drift away from your dream, you drift away from your ideas, because there's always somebody telling you to do it in a different way. There's always somebody telling you to do that. We always held to that. You know, and we built this brand uh, that was about our DNA of ESG. And, and brands are like coral. It grows slowly over time. You, know, you can talk about exploding, but as it explodes, Nobody sees the change until some point, it's some inflection point, it is so beautiful, there's nothing like it. And of course, that's what you want in business, which is almost a monopoly, but you're so unique that nobody can compete with you. You have no competitors, and you're basically just executing your strategy the way you want. So the challenge, uh, Dylan, is basically not doing the wrong things, because a brand is not only what you do, a brand is what you don't do. Amazing. So do you have any um, sort of moments that stick out in your career where you sort of realize like, okay, our brand is working. The things we haven't done is also working. Like, 
I call it a pop a bottle of champagne moment. Like, oh, wow, like we started from, you know, a couple stores and now we're at this level. Do you have any moments in your career that stick out to you like that? We had a lot of them. I mean, I remember one time when, you know, we were a company that just grew organically. We started out and we were in uh, San Francisco area and then we were US and then we went Europe. But I remember I was traveling in Europe and we hadn't really gone in into that market, and I was riding on some bus, and here was somebody with one of our packs, and I'm going, oh my God, where did you get that? You know, <laughs> And it turns out they'd actually, they were a visitor, they'd come to the US and bought it in the US and had taken it back, but they they lived in England at the time, so that that was pretty dramatic, and, and it, it was a, a good feeling to see that it happened that way. You know, there, there were other times, I mean, the president ended up wearing our garment, and. I didn't agree with the president's philosophy at that time, so that was sort of the aha moment. So when when I was inter interviewed by one of the uh, uh, television stations locally, I said, "Well, what do you think about this?" And you know, I could have either said, "You know, it's yeah, I don't get it. Why are they wearing our gear? We're trying to save the world. They're trying to blow it up." But but uh, I said, "You know, it's relatively ironic. Here we are, a small company like this, and." Suddenly it ends up and the whole world sees it, but the irony I was talking about in my own mind was quite different So we have some people here and you know as we mentioned one person can change the world And I'm sure someone and all of you guys will be changing the world in your own way What advice do you have to sort of that next generation of entrepreneurs that next? Generation business owner or that person who wants to make an impact in their lives What advice do you have for that person who's just entering that workforce or wants to continue to grow in that? The best one that I know is, is a quote that I hang on to from Goethe, the German philosopher. And it, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think I'm close, saying, whatever you can do or believe you can, begin it. Because boldness has genius and power and magic in it. The, the pace of change of society is accelerating. You've seen it from the speakers before when they're talking about what's happening. What used to take 10 years takes four years. What will take four years is going to take six months in the future. The rate of change is so dramatic that you have to jump in front of it. The changes that are going to be made are going to be made by you, not going to be made by somebody else. The people that are here before, as the speakers have talked about, have screwed it up, and they screwed it up badly. But the Gen Z, the, the younger people, are the people who are going to do it. The only thing that's required in that mix is not knowledge, because they have knowledge. It's not uh, desire. They have a desire. It's just, are they going to do something? And following Goethe's advice, whatever you can do or believe you can, begin it. Because boldness has genius and power and magic in it. There we go, guys. That is amazing information. Let's give it up. And that's right. As a millennial... You Gen Zers, we're with you guys. We appreciate it. Go out and make some changes. Um, real quick, I want to thank Philip Toussaint as well for introducing us. Uh, Hap's been on a few of my podcasts. We've written about him on green.org. Highly check it out. We're barely scratching the surface on all the things that we've talked about. We've got about two more minutes. So real quick, when did, uh, when did you originally start the North Face? I originally started in 1968. 1968, and I believe it was just with like a couple of stores, is that yep, correct? That's correct. In San Francisco? In San Francisco area. And so when it comes to sort of building that business, what were sort of the next steps that you took it, you know, from a couple of stores to building it to that next level? It was always the people you hire. You know, I never hired anyone for business knowledge. I figured I could train them that way. I'd, I'd worked in a business. I had my MBA. 
What I looked for was a passion, and a passion for two things. A passion to change the world, because we thought and believed we should, uh, and the passion for the outdoors. And I thought if they had those two things, that was the right basis for us growing. And many of these people went on to run other businesses. They founded Mountain Hardware and started that. One lady ended up running Birkenstock. Uh, another one ran Thule. Uh, it, 11 different people who were there at the outset ran companies. And they, they would have gotten there on their own because they're brilliant people. But I think the training that we had and the way we looked at it, the industry that we created, which was originally the camping industry, and we made it the backpacking industry, really changed everything. But you know, th there's a story that I'll tell just to, to help kind of wrap it up. But uh, the one thing can't be taught is timing. But timing is a factor. You know, we've lived with two decades or more where price was a driver in the marketplace for goods and services and offshoring and everything was happening, and that was the driver. The decades coming up, the driver is going to be ESG. Driver is environment, it's sustainability, it's governance of your company. And, and, and there's a story that I tell from my own world that gives you some idea of, of how do you know when it's the right time? Well, you just know. And the story is about two climbers, uh, the Whitaker brothers, they were climbing Mount McKinley, and uh, they're great storytellers, big guys, six foot five, 220 pounds, and that isn't what mountaineers are all about. Usually quite small, because you have to carry that weight of your body all the way up the mountain. They went up on McKinley, and they got above the tree line, and one of their climbing partners fell and broke a leg. And they realized it was serious because they could hear the lungs rattling. They realized if they didn't get that person off of the mountain, he was going to die. So they called down for a helicopter. And they said, bring a helicopter up here. We've got to get this person out of there. They said, well, we don't know if we can make it up there because you're too high. We don't have any jet helicopters. We don't have props, but we'll take it to the top. They said, give it a try. We're going to lose him. Helicopter came up and made it in, landed. They loaded the guy into the, the helicopter and said, take it away. And the helicopter tried to lift, and the helicopter tried to lift, and it couldn't. The extra weight stopped it. Well, these two big strapping guys looked at each other, and they said, we know what to do. One of them got on one rail of a helicopter. One got on the other rail of a helicopter, and they did one, two, three. And they threw the helicopter off the mountain, and it went down and caught air. And there we go. Give it up for Hab, guys. How lucky are we to have the founder of North Face sitting here with us? Thank you so much for tuning into the episode. My name is Dylan Welch. Appreciate it. As always, stay up to date with the latest information on green.org and dylanwelch.com. Dylan Welch Media is a full-service media and communications agency dedicated to promoting, marketing, and helping businesses in clean tech, renewable energy, and sustainability grow, get more clients, get more customers, get in front of their ideal clientele. If you have any more questions, feel free to reach out. If you're interested in joining the Green Summit, go to www.green-summit.org. Reserve your ticket today. There's very few spots left, so make sure you get on that ASAP. Thank you and have a great rest of your day.